raise up a church that is moving in the power of your Holy Spirit and that we let all these walls of, of, of our own personal preferences die and Lord of all these divisions that are in your church and all the, the, the things Lord that man has built God that you would raise up a spirit built church in these last days we pray in Jesus name somebody said amen, amen. Amen. We are in a series going through the book of Acts called Realignment. We're in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. I just want to talk to you uh, briefly this morning about a fox in the church house. How many people have chickens? Right? You know, and actually we may not have so much foxes in the chicken house maybe today in Louisiana, but maybe possums and raccoons and, and different things like that, snakes. But a fox in the church house. Really, I want to talk about the authentic, the authentic church and that God wants to get rid of anything that's fake. Uh, have you ever had those moments in your life, maybe it's just me, where you go and you, you do things, you're going through your week or whatever, and you tell people something or you do something, and then you go back, and then later on you kind of re-examine what you did or maybe go to the Lord in prayer, and, and God says, hey, you did that, but it came across this way, or you did that, and you were really kind of uh, doing it for the wrong reason, uh, or maybe you had a different motive behind it than you thought you did. I don't know if that's just you or if that's just me, but growing up when I was getting uh, into the Lord and growing, uh, getting my, my uh, journey with Jesus getting going, I had this, this process that God was working on and I would, I would begin to tell things and say things and do things, just to be a normal week and then you'd come back and God said, hey, you really were kind of prideful when you shared that. And I, was like, I didn't really think I was prideful, but he's like, oh yeah, you were prideful. Or maybe you were boasting a little bit more than you thought you were. Or maybe it was like, I remember s several times, I would tell somebody something and I'd, I would kind of just recount the facts quickly as I, oh, there was like 10 people there. Or maybe I went there and it was this far, this long. And it wouldn't be anything serious, but God would actually come back to and say, you know, it actually wasn't that big or that far or that many. And you were actually lying. Like, oh Lord, I didn't really intend to lie, but it came off that I didn't really tell the whole truth. You know, we kind of got a, these little white lies that maybe God comes back and convicts you on, that sometimes uh, there are deeper things behind what we are really doing. There's deeper things that uh, are going on on the inside. And I think about uh, that famous movie, Shrek, you right, remember this? Where he says, ogres have layers, onions have layers, right? Come on, for the teenagers, millennials, you're gonna get that. Uh, onions have layers that sometimes we have this outer layer but underneath it are multiple layers. And if we are really honest with ourselves, in every single one of us, we have layers and layers of issues. And this is gonna be one of those preaching, shouting sermons, I can feel it from the very beginning. Uh, we, turn to your neighbor and say, you got issues. Some of y'all got issues with one another, but y'all have, y'all, we all have issues. And sometimes, let me be honest, I don't even know my own issues. That's what I'm talking about. Sometimes I'll go through life and do or say things and God comes back and says, hey, there was actually another layer underneath what you did there or what you said there. He's like, actually, let me talk to you about something. I'm so great, gracious, or thankful that my gracious heavenly father didn't just cut down the middle and say, hey, let's get to the deep things right off the bat. But he was patient and he was stripping away things in my heart so I could see who I really was, why I really thought that way, why I really did those things. But let me challenge you this morning. If you want to grow as a mature person emotionally, or relationally and even spiritually, we have all got to start cutting to the deeper issues. 
we have all got to be honest with ourselves first and then honest with one another, with those that we trust, and most importantly, to get honest with God, to get really honest with God. Because I have layers of issues, and sometimes if I'm really honest with myself, I have really not wanted God to get to that place. We have layers that we don't like to uncover. For instance, if you think of even about uh, addiction, addiction is often the simple symptom of a deeper problem. For instance, it could be habitual lying or uh, adultery or constant boasting or repeated broken relationships. Often those are just symptoms of something else going on deeper inside. Maybe it was something that happened in your childhood or maybe there was some way that you saw your parents always react to love and to hate and to uh, how they, your father always responded in anger. So that's why you respond in anger that way. That, we, we've learned things. We've layers and layers of our life and sometimes we've got to get back to the deeper things because often we put a mask on we put something out there to put the best projected self that we could. But we're going to talk about getting honest with ourselves, with those that we trust, and with God today. There are two problems I want to just hit real quick before we get into the text. Is the first problem is myself. My first problem is myself. I don't always want to be honest with myself. I don't always know what the things I do and why. That's my first problem. Getting honest with myself, looking myself in the mirror, taking off the mask, being honest with who I really am. Why am I me? Why do I do the things the way I do them? Why do I say the things the way I say? Why am I impatient? Why am I kind of prideful? Why am I insecure there? Or why do I keep coming up into this situation? That's my first issue. My second issue is sometimes other people. Sometimes Satan will send people into your life and while I have to worry about my own secret motives and my own hidden agendas that I've got to deal with, sometimes other people who are dealing with those same things come into your life and you might have to deal with their issues. How many know that's true? Sometimes there are people in your life that the devil will even send in with a mask on, with hidden agendas and motives. They may not even know that they're doing it or that they're doing it on purpose, but they are sent there and used by the enemy to bring you down so that you'll start doing what they're doing. They'll send a person who's a gossiper or a liar or a cheat into your life and before you know it, you're habitually joining in the same things or a person who's going to bring you back into negativity. How many know that's easy to do? Someone sends a person who's very negative into your life and, and you already maybe deal with negativity in a certain area and you're trying to work on that but then here comes this other person just perfectly at the right time and they have a mask on like they're this really nice person and they just start talking about you with you about other people and before you know it, you've been an hour-long gossip session about other people. We all got issues. And our job as Christians is to know with honesty, Lord, here I am before you. We're talking about honesty, but also discernment. Discernment. What if God is trying to do something in your life and the devil has sent someone behind it to say, look, let me bring you down and get you into a place where he can own you. You see, the church is the solution here. And while many people don't really know the intent of their motives, if you don't have discernment, if you're not in the body of Christ, God has made this church to be a group of people who we all will come to this place and we admit we're powerless over all my issues, that I turn from my old self, my old way of thinking, and old way of living and doing, and I turn to Jesus Christ Christ 
And I realize that I am powerless over that old man and I come to him for he could create a new man in me. I turn from my old self and I turn to a new self that he has made in holiness and righteousness and truth, the Bible says. And when we come to this church, it says, welcome to the broken on our church. That means that we all admit we have issues, but we all need him and one another to keep us going in the right direction. That The church is this Holy Spirit hospital to the broken. And for us to be that place where true healing and life-giving water comes, it means we all have to take off the mask. We all have to be aware of Satan's schemes, and we all have to be honest with ourselves, with one another, and with God. God's designed this community to be the place where people have life change. And this community from the book of Acts is built on a few things. It's on unity, on brotherly love, on sacrifice, and on supreme devotion to Christ's glory. And his mission. It's unity, love, brotherly love, sacrifice, and devotion to his mission. And all of these people who began this journey in the book of Acts were immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit and continually put themselves under the influence of the Holy Spirit to make this beautiful, beautiful thing we call the church. And here's the key for today the church is not self made, but it's spirit made. The church is not self-made, but it's spirit-made. And God, from the very beginning, dealt with the fakers, the fox, the self-made things in his church in a almost, really what we'd say, a severe way. Look with me in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. God dealt with a fox in the church house. And here we find early followers of Christ immersed in and repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're bold witnesses. And Jesus begins to build this church through his Holy Spirit. And this spirit not only manifested in like healings and miracles and demon exorcisms, but this church was manifesting in unity and brotherly love and sacrifice and compassion. And now we see at this time, there's thousands of believers meeting from house to house and in the temple. And the Holy Spirit is doing something incredible something incredible, and look what it happens in Acts 4, 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Somebody say, one heart. One heart and one soul. Not one of them claimed anything that belonged to them was his own, but all things were common property to them. Now, that's not socialism or communal living. That is the spirit that says, this stuff is not mine, it's God's. My house is not mine, it's God's. My truck is not mine, it's God's. Everything I have is God's. I don't claim it for myself. This is the Lord's. He can do with it whatever he wants. That's what they were doing. In verse 33, with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. And there's not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to any as had need. Now, verse 36, now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, who owned a tract of land, sold it. He brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. They kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? 
And after it was sold, was it not under your control? So why is it that you've conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard it. The young men got up and covered him and carried him out, and they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, tell me, whether you sold this land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. And Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet, breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out, buried her outside behind, beside her husband, and great fear came over the church and over all who heard these things. Can you imagine the offertory next Sunday? <laughs> I mean, just come on, let's just be real. Next Sunday, we're going to take up the offering, and the usher is going to be like, oh, Jesus. And people are going to be, I mean, I just can't imagine the fear that would come in. And what is this all about? I can't even imagine you brought a visitor next Sunday to church, and they're like, these people don't play. This is the God's in this house. What is going on here? I don't know if I want to join this thing or not. There was a great reverent awe. And this is like, God, I thought that was Old Testament stuff. You know that kind of happened in the old days. Remember the, the time where... Aaron's son in the Old Testament brought strange fire, which was pagan fire, uh, into the tabernacle of God, and fire came out and killed them all because they weren't supposed to do that. Or remember that story with Achan uh, in, after, after Joshua took over, they go into the promised land, and Achan, uh, God said, don't take this city. Uh, if you take this city, don't take anything out of it. And Achan hid some of that jewelry under his tent, and eventually God found them out, and they stoned him and his family and all of his household, and they killed him. Because God said, that's what you don't do. Why? Because there's going to be victory in the camp. We've all got to be honest with ourselves, honest with God, and honest with one another. You see, God was doing something very unique in the early church then. And some people say, well, God, this is the New Testament. How in the world? Well, God was making example of that fox in the church house. The very beginning of this baby infant church, God was setting a, an example that God was serious that his church was going to be a spirit-made church. It was not going to be built on the efforts of man. And God was going to deal with fakers in the church house very strongly at the very beginning because what God was building was going to be built through Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God only. And I'm going to kind of dig into this versus Barnabas versus Ananias, but then the spirit church versus the flesh church. But let me contrast some of these things today and how how vitally important it is for us to deal with our issues, how vitally important it is for us to have honesty in the church and discernment in the church to know what God is doing and what he wants to do. So give, give me an example. Look at these first two guys, Barnabas and Ananias. In Acts, look at verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 37 says that Joseph was his name. He was a Levite. But when he got on fire for God, when the Spirit immersed this Levite, who was probably a religious man, he began to be such an encourager or an exhorter that his character was changed. He wasn't just called Joseph, but they began to nickname him, you are a son of encouragement. You are like born out of encouragement. You are born out of exhortation. And they began to call him as a nickname Barnabas. 
Doesn't that, look at that spirit transformation there. You're not just who your daddy says you are. You're who your heavenly father says you are because you don't just look like your earthly dad anymore. You look like your heavenly dad. You are a son of encouragement. And they noted that. And Barnabas, if you'll know later, was quickly to be a leader in the early church. And as he began to lead, something happened. The Bible says that he sold a piece of land. Now, as the spirit was moving in this day, there was all kinds of people around for this festival and they were staying for this revival, and many people were traveling. They ran out of money. Maybe there was widows and orphans coming into the church and needy people and, and people who once used to be beggars who just got healed. Now they're in the church. What are they? They don't have a job. They don't have a house. They're getting up on their feet again. So we, the church, began to be this community where we help one another and we share and we love one another with brotherly love and unity and compassion. And the people of God began to be moved by the Spirit to give all these things to help one another. Be, there was no Social Security, there was no Medicare, there was no insurance, there's no, none of that. The church had to be that place, this Holy Spirit hospital. And Barnabas, a Levite, said he owned property. Now, some people think that uh, in the Old Testament, we know that Levites really didn't own property. They were given a set of land that was passed down in the Levitical tribes from generation. The Bible says that Levites' portion was the Lord. And they didn't get property like the rest of them. Some people think that Barnabas maybe owned some property that he shouldn't have owned and he felt compassionate, felt compelled to get right with the Lord. And some people think that maybe he sold his father's land that was passed down to him. We don't really know. But what we know is that Barnabas felt something of the Lord. Not something from his own self, not a pride. No, he felt like I have been changed by God and my heart is moving me to make this sacrifice. And he sold this land and he laid it at the apostles' feet and he says, you know, however many dollars it was worth. He said, this is, this is what I give. God, God told me to do this. Well, he gave God glory, and God was going to raise up Barnabas. I want you to note, though, it wasn't really about him giving how much that land was worth. It was about him giving all of himself to God. And then Luke contrasts. He says, but there was another guy, Ananias. And he was like that fox that was being clever and underhanded, and Ananias and Sapphira, it says they were in the congregation. They saw the Holy Spirit moving. They saw this. They joined the Jesus Club. They were risking persecution. Now, I'm not going to debate whether or not they were saved or not. All I know is they weren't saved when they died. That's all that really matters. And they saw that they were in the fellowship. They were participating. They were labeled as Christians in the fellowship, in the congregation. But Ananias held something back. He held something back. Whereas Barnabas is giving it, Ananias is holding back. And, and one author says they were hypocrites, and that word means actors. They had layers. They hadn't really dealt with the inner layers. They were projecting something that they really weren't. They pretended to be Christians. They were hypocrites. They were fakers. And they looked the part. They acted the part. They sounded the part. And Ananias was on the way to being another Barnabas. Him and Barnabas were like two guys going up to become leaders in the church, and one was being motivated by the Spirit, but one was being motivated by the flesh. He saw Barnabas, he said, I want to be just like that guy. That guy's awesome. He's giving stuff away. I need to give stuff away too. And he saw his position rising in the church. Barnabas sought consecration, and Ananias sought reputation. He had the love of money, and he was like the Pharisees who were fakers, and he wanted to keep some money on reserve just in case this whole Jesus thing didn't work out. And thank God Peter with this gifted discernment comes and he says, Barnabas, I mean, Ananias, nobody told you that you had to do this. 
Nobody told you to sell the land. It was yours to do whatever you want. There's no obligation here. This is a spirit move thing. And Ananias, you could have given half of that money if you wanted to. No one told you you had to give the whole thing. You could have sold it and, and said, I'm, I feel led to give half of it. But the point was, Ananias, you said to the Lord, God, I'm selling all of this and I, I'm responding to the spirit and I'm giving all of this. And you told the church, Ananias, this is the full price of this land. He says, Ananias, you, you've tempted God. You've not lied to men, you've lied to God. You weren't honest with yourself, you weren't honest with your wife, you weren't honest with the church, and most of all, you weren't honest with God. The Bible says, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. And Ananias fell dead. Can you imagine me and the ushers had to carry him out like, I don't think I want to touch him. Put him in a rug. Roll him out. I mean, honestly, just be real. You saw somebody give up in the offering. And as soon as they put it in the offering plate, they fell down as dead. You'd be like, I think I'll... Well, how much more you got? Honey, well, you got some more change? Something, you'd be, you'd be like, what in the world is going on? This wasn't about money. This wasn't about an offering. Barnabas gave all of himself. Ananias held himself back. He was a faker. He tested God. Galatians explains it that one sowed to the flesh and one sowed to the spirit. For one sows to the flesh, Paul says, so one who sows, sows to his own flesh, he'll reap from corruption. But one who sows to the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. He tested God. One man was building a spirit-filled church and one man was building a church who'd follow him for all the wrong reasons. God made an example that day of that fox. He said, you'd actually come under the influence of, the Holy, of Satan and not the Holy Spirit. And so important, the very, very, very beginning of this church, God said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I'm going to build it on my son and by his spirit. And any man who wants to build it on himself, they're going to fall. They're going to crumble. Any church that's built on man is going to fall. Anything built on flesh is going to fail. Any works built on your own works is going to fall. And from that day, God made an example. And that church, if, it, if, God, if he had not dealt that severely in that day, I believe this, Barnabas would have went one way, Ananias would have went the other, and people would have believed the lie. And God knew at the very beginning, I'm going to make a very clear example. My church is going to be built my way. My church is going to be a spirit-filled church. And this is the very first time Luke will use the word, this is very important, very first time Luke will use the word church, which means ecclesia or gathering. Why is that important? Because this gathering was going to be the gathering of the people and God was going to set the membership. You see, just because you come in and you sign a membership card and you attend regularly doesn't mean you're part of God's church. Being a spirit-filled, immersed person means you're on that church roster. And it means that you're in his church, in his house, and it's his way. Let me look at, look at this real quick. The spirit-made versus the self-made church. Luke is says there was fear that took over the area. But at the same time, if you look in verses 12 through 16, it says that not only was it the fear, it said the rest of them did not join, meaning the Pharisees, the rest of the fakers did not join. But what God was doing on the inside of his church, if it even looks and says, but many more miracles begin to happen. Many more begin to add to the church. And even people, as Peter walked outside, people would try to put people by his shadow and God began to heal people in the streets. And greater revival broke out after God did this. 
Why? Because God was building his church his way. Let me tell you something today. You and I are not building God's church. He's building his church. This thing is not about me. It's not about a domination. It's not about a pastor. It's not about a song choice. It's about his spirit and his son. And if you and I want to be a part of a kingdom community, it means, God, I'm taking off my mask. I'm dealing with the layers. I'm going to get honest with myself. I'm not going to hold myself back from you. Lord, everything I have is yours and yours to give. And there's nothing I've withheld from you. And as I join this faith-filled community. Man, we are building this up in unity and brotherly love and sacrifice. And we're not building it on pedigree or stereotypes. We're not uh, building it on economy or class or race or culture. We are building this house by the Spirit of God. Amen. What is the Spirit-made church versus the self-made church? You know, God's not really in the business of killing people so much today. Uh, we only have a few people buried outside behind the church. But God is holy. And he wants to be treated as holy and reverent. And after this immersion of power came this unity and this love that it expressed in, in their membership. You know, people want to debate where their tongues is the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit. I'd say it's power and love. Power and love. I, it's not... Tongues was never emphasized as that initial evidence in those texts. What happened? As soon as they filled with the Holy Spirit, they went out in power and spoke boldly the word of God, and they united together in love. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit was manifested in their gatherings. Power and love, power and love. And God began to, I, we could have a church full of people speaking in tongues all day long, but if we don't have power and love, we don't really have it. That's just flesh. That's just things going on. But if we are a church that sacrifices one another, that bleeds for one another, that, that loves and compassion is the root of our fellowship, that we've removed the mask, we've got honest with ourselves and got honest with God, and we said, look, we are a faith-filled family, and we're in this together until Jesus comes. Let's reach this world. That's the church of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a spirit-made church that begins with all the believers, all, somebody say all, all of the believers in the first century church were immersed in the Spirit with power. And after this immersion came that love. And there was a responsibility for one another. They felt this strong desire that they would exalt Christ with all their lives. And all the sacrifice they did was volunteer. Nobody compelled them to give. Nobody compelled them to serve. Nobody compelled them to join a team. The Spirit was doing things as they surrendered to God. And here's what they didn't do. They didn't say, how can I give more money to God? How can I give more things to God? Here's what they said. How can I give more of myself to God? Not how much can I give to God, but how much of myself have I given to God? See, there's a difference. You can come, and it's, sometimes it's easy for someone to write a $1,000 check. Sometimes it's easy for someone just to prop open a door or, or to, you know, hey, I'll give food for that. Sometimes that's the easy stuff. The hard stuff is when you remove the layers and you get honest with yourself and say, man, I'm really not a good person. I need Jesus to wash me inside and out. I need to get all this out and repent and just get everything out and find a brother and sister in Christ and lay my heart to them and say, hey, help me. I'm struggling. I'll call you. You call me. I'm going to be at small group this week. And if I don't show up, you call me because I need to be with other Christians. We got to do this thing together. And when you have an issue, I'll pray for you. And when you're going in the hospital, I'm going to be there right behind you. And when you're going through things, man, we are doing this together. That's the spirit-filled church. That's the church that is saying, God, I'm getting rid of all my old life and I'm coming into a new community of faith that is built by your Holy Spirit. 
So it's not about God, how can I give more, but how can I give myself more to God? Let me be honest. Have you said to God, you're all in, but you're holding part of yourself back? I'm going to be honest. We all do that. What layer are you at? How many layers have you let God pull away from that onion? How many masks have you laid down at God's feet and say, God, I've been projecting this. I got it all together, but Lord, on the inside, I know I messed up. God, I've, I've dealt with this, but Lord, I realize, man, there's this other thing, God, I need to deal with, and Lord, so I'm giving all that down. He says, Ananias, you, you did this in your heart. You had been thinking these greedy thoughts, and then Satan came in, and you fell to the temptation of it, and then you pulled your wife into it. That's like Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and then y'all, y'all turned from God. Then you, you didn't just lie. You had something going on in you that you should have dealt with, and we would have helped you, and Ananias, you didn't have to do that. You could have just been honest with yourself and honest with God and then honest with us, and God, this wouldn't have happened, but Ananias, you've been lying to yourself, and then you lied with, you made your wife a liar, and then you lied to God. See, there's a spirit-made church and there's a self-made church. Self-made church, let me give you real quick what it is and then we're going to close. Self-made church, the one led by Ananias, if it was to continue, it treats holiness lightly. There's little reverence for God's presence in the self-made church and the membership is a mix. It's a mix of fakers and takers. The self-made church has a mix of membership. You don't all even have to be fully filled with the Spirit to be a part because on pew number one, you can be on the roll as long, long as you get dunked in water and you show up and you give in the offering on occasion. On pew number one, it doesn't matter your lifestyle or your faithfulness or your involvement in community with one another or how much you pray. So long as you claim Christ and you just don't do the big stuff. Because that's the big stuff. That's what really matters. And, and after all, Christians aren't supposed to judge one another anyway, so don't judge me even if I do the big stuff uh, because we're all sinners and saved by grace. That's pew number one. And this pew number one says, we are the fill yourself first church. We don't really serve very much in the local church. We're really here to listen, have a good word, and go do our busy schedule throughout the week uh, because really this is all about us and Jesus loves me and this I know for the Bible tells me so. And... We're just really going to have the good life and then Jesus is going to come and save me because I signed a car, got baptized as a child. And of course, I love Christ more than I love Muhammad or Hare Krishna or Buddha. Right? Is that the Spirit-filled church? That's the American church. I'm going to be real honest today. This is life and death. You may not die in the offering or die during a church service. You will die one day unless Jesus comes back and you will stand before judgment on how much you really had the Spirit of God in you. That's pew number one. They took no responsibility to give of themselves to their church family. Pew number two says, well, we signed up with this group called the Pharisees. We have a joyless routine of rules. Our obedience comes from shame and fear and guilt. And uh, we're here because uh, we need to be better than other people. Uh, we do because we feel we're supposed to because nobody else is and so who's going to do it if we don't do it? Uh, everything is measured and compared here and on this row you'll probably find some gossip about other churchgoers. You'll definitely find some criticism about the pastor and how you wish things were back the way they were or could be or should have been or if onlys. Criticism maybe about another church leader. You'll probably find some politicizing or scheming for leadership positions 
trying to get to the right place, be elected to the board, different things like that. And in this row, people will care more about what other people think than what God thinks. And on the outside, they can smile to you and look at you. And maybe you've been to some of these churches like this, but on the behind the scenes, they can talk all kinds of things about you. On the front side of this church, it looks very united and smiles, and we're all in this together. But on the back side, they're very divided. You see, these churches exist in America. I think we have been blessed with a very, very good church at Sanctuary. We have been striving to be this Holy Spirit hospital, full of the Spirit. But let's be careful. As we look in this day, there are fakers in the church house of America. There are people Satan sends in to divide, to de destroy, even in your own personal life. Say, God, I want to be honest with myself. And like Peter, I want to have the discernment. Lord, is this a spirit of this? From the outside, Peter would have never known. But the Holy Spirit checked his heart and said, hey, this is something not right. If we started exalting this guy, he's going to become a leader in the church. And God began to deal with him right then. You have to be careful in this day. I don't know what pastors you listen to, what you watch, or where you go, or who you hang around with. But Galatians 3 says, Are you foolish? You began this journey in the Spirit. How can you now be made perfect by the flesh? Meaning that Christ's church is going to be built not by self-things, but by spirit things. How much you read your Bible should not be because I tell you how or somebody gives you a program. It's because the Spirit is moving you to read your Bible. How you much you pray every day is not because you know you need to, because you should, or is it five minutes, an hour? It should be because the Spirit is drawing you to be in the presence of your Lord and Savior. How you serve in this church is not because you feel guilty or you don't feel guilty. It's because the Spirit of God is moving in your heart to grow and learn and to serve and be. How you give to one another should not be because because we've campaigned and campaigned and campaigned that you should be generous and help in the funerals that we have or help in the missions department we have or serve in the kids department we have. It's because the Spirit of God should be speaking to you and encouraging you to be the people of God He's called you to be. Amen. You see, if we build this church, it will fail and die. But if God's building this church, the gates of hell will never prevail of what he wants to do. Do you understand me this morning? This is a sobering message. Somebody died in this Bible. You know, they were taking up the offering. That's kind of a weird thing. Yeah, but what is it speaking? God builds his church by his spirit. And man can never build the church God wants to build. And everything that we do needs to be motivated by the Holy Spirit telling us to do it. And if there's areas of my heart where I have not let God come in and take away the layers, and I say, God, I want to be honest with you I'm going to be honest with the brother or sister in Christ that I trust. I'm going to find a small group. I'm going to find some place to serve where, God, I can be accountable and say, Lord, I'm giving all of myself, laying it down. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we respond? Ananias did not just hide money from God. He hid himself from God. And Satan is a thief. And he wants to rob God of all of you and he wants to rob you of all of God. I'll say that again. Satan is a thief. He's a liar. He's a fox. He wants you to wear the mask and hide behind the layers. He wants to rob you of all of God. And he wants to rob God of all of you. Repentance means coming to the end of myself and turning myself over to God. It means getting honest with who I really am and believing in God for who he says he is.
So I just want us to take a moment just to reflect this morning as we just take a, an honest inventory of ourselves. God, is there any area of my life, Lord, where I need to get more honest with you? Maybe you've fallen into some habits that you say, God, I need to give these over to you. Maybe there's other influences in your life, people you've been listening to, been around, influences of negativity or, or gossip, or maybe it's just been lying to yourself. Maybe there's habits in your life you've been doing, but they're really because of other issues that really are going on on the inside. And God wants you just to get honest. Just get it out there because there's life when you come to the Spirit of God and let Him begin to work. You keep trying to fix it on your own. You keep trying to stop to do that on your own. That, that's just, that's dead works. But how honest are we to say this this morning, church? Are we allowing the Spirit of God to move in our life? Are we being moved by the Spirit? Are we being Spirit-made Christians? Is the Holy Spirit the agent who's growing you, challenging you, changing you, motivating you? Or are you doing it out of religion? You're doing it out of selfishness. I'm going to be honest before God myself. We're all going to stand there one day. Lord, I don't want to do anything out of my own self. We want to do things by the Spirit of God.